Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome uh, to this event. Uh, this is uh, the first time that the podcast, uh, This Climate Business, has been presented in front of um, real humans. So um, I, I know now that you exist, uh, which is uh, very gratifying. So thank you for coming along. This is also, um, as you know, part of the Auckland Climate Festival, uh, which has been a month-long event, and this is, I think, maybe the second last event. Uh, I'm getting nods. The second last event of, uh, does that mean penultimate? Yes. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, event for the festival. So um, it's a it's a really great festival, and we're very grateful for the mahi that's put in by Alec, uh, by Michelle. Where are you over there? Uh, and also acknowledge the um, uh, again the iwi Te Waihua. Thank you for your mahi in this space, all of you, because it's incredibly valuable work. Today we are very um, blessed to have three experts to talk about. The inside story really on climate action, I'm really curious about how do you get change because that's really the climate story, isn't it? It's about change. It's about change in weather systems. It's actually a story of physics, which uh, has been politicised, which is a real shame. But nevertheless, that's the circumstances we find ourselves in. So I thought how cool would it be to interview three people who have really led change in their own space, and I'm hoping that we could get into the nitty-gritty. You're amongst friends. Um, the three people that are online are also friends. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're not here to um, uh, gotcha. What we would like to do is get inside your story about how you have managed change in the climate space. So um, I wonder if I need to introduce these people, but perhaps I should. We have... Uh, Directly on my left, um, Honourable James Shaw, who is the Minister of Climate Change or for Climate Change? Of. I can't be for climate change. No, that's <laughs> true. You can be <laughs> yeah. for the environment. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. And also the co-leaders of the Greens, 12% sitting at? On average, yes. Very good. Yeah. Well, well, good luck with that. Thank you. Uh, Sophie Hanford, who is a Kapiti uh, District, Kapiti Coast District Councillor, um, and also uh, was leader of the school's uh, strike for climate. Um, probably the happiest person I have ever met, <laughs> uh, which is remarkable. Um, thank you, Sophie. And uh, last but not least uh, is Alec Tang, who about to say something. I'm just looking at the billboard out the window, which is a very appropriate... <laughs> <laughs> very good. Go the wires. Um, so um, thank you uh, for joining us. And I'm going to start with James, if I may. 
you know, the purpose of this korero is really to talk about change, and, and you have led it from the inside. There are lots of bits of legislation that have now been passed, quite significant. Um, uh, we've got TCFD, which is an acronym, I still don't, can't remember what it stands for, but it implies lots of paperwork for corporates. <laughs> um, anyway, out of all of those bits of legislation and statutory actions, could you tell us about one of them that really kind yeah. of highlights the hurdles? I will, but I want to just back up a little bit to, um, I was doing a degree in the UK in sustainability and business practice, and that was the point at which I decided to come back home and run for Parliament, because if you're trying to think about how change happens, you know, I was kind of, I was doing a lot of work in corporate sustainability and strategy and change and so on, and a lot of it was really good work and some of it was not, um, and and it was really when I was doing that. Um, it's the life of a consultant, right? Yes. Lots of slideshows, heaps <laughs> of PowerPoint presentations. I was an absolute master of, uh, of PowerPoint. Um, which thank God I haven't looked at in years. Um, but the 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 realization I think that I had during the course of that, when I was really getting into the numbers on climate change, was change has to happen everywhere, right? So you've got to have, and we've all. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take everything we've got, and it's going to be in, in as individuals in our households, in our sports clubs, in our church groups, in our businesses, in our communities, in our towns, in our cities. And there's some changes that can can only and must only happen in the domain of politics, right, which are around sort of economic settings and regulations and that kind of thing. And so um, just because the main, <laughs> my brain works, I was like, well, where can I have the greatest point of leverage? I'll go do that, right? But that's not to say that that's the only place because it's absolutely not. So I sort of view political change as trying to enable all of the rest of us mm -hmm. to be doing everything else we want and need to do everywhere else, right? That, that, that to me is what, what that's about. And if you don't have that kind of change in the political domain, it is really hard for the rest of us to do what it is that we want and need to do wherever we are, whether that's in the kind of our local rugby club or at home or, or in our businesses or whatever. So that was, you know, if you want a theory of change, that's, that's where I'd start. It's sort of a, a cover defence you like there's a you're creating an, a, an environment where these conversations can yeah happen. it should be an enabling and enabling environment right so one of the re, you know people kind of like oh, i really want to do this or that you know whether it's at home or at work but you know um and so i'll flip to the actual question uh which was around one particular piece of legislation which was TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, okay. which is now the Climate-Related Financial Disclosures Regime. Man, it's pretty gripping. Yeah, it's great <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But we're in a room full of nerds, so we're in good company. Yeah. Hi. Um, so the, that, um, when, uh, the, the reason I, I say, it, I'll, I mean, I'll get into the substance of, of, of it in a, in a tick, but one of the things that really interested me was when we went out and consulted on whether or not to in introduce a disclosures regime, 89% um, of the businesses who responded said they wanted a mandatory regime, mandatory regulations. 
It's really unusual for the business community to say we want compulsory regulation, particularly <laughs> in the field of corporate reporting. Um, and the reason for that was because uh, some businesses, you know, particularly global ones that were tapped into what was going on elsewhere in the world, were saying, well, this is coming, but if we kind of show everyone all of the investment community, the climate-related risks that we're exposed to and our competitors don't, then actually uh, it, life becomes more difficult for us, mm. right? So not having a mandatory regime actually makes life harder for the people who want to lead on this. And I'd sort of seen this in some of my consulting work in business as well, where um, actually the leaders were held back because they were competing against um you know, businesses that didn't care uh, as much. And so they, they were kind of struggling with that sort of thing. So that so that that one thing that the business community coming in and saying, no, actually, we all need to do this, um, uh, kind of got it over the line. So you're really talking about uh, you're responding then to the electorate pressure. You're being given permission to go ahead and create yes. a... Yes. Well, we didn't. I mean, there was no pressure for corporate reporting. <laughs> but when we proposed it, we did what we got back was uh, what was social license to do it from the group that had to do it. Right. Right. And so when you went to the representatives of those groups, they had really no opposition or no reason to, yeah. to make life difficult. Yeah. And it, what that also meant is it was much easier to get it through cabinet than it otherwise might have been. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Sophie, you're now in politics. Um, does that same kind of, uh, does that apply? You know, you actually need electoral support to get things over the line around the table? I think it depends how courageous you're willing to be and how, yeah, how much you kind of value and see, I guess, your seat within that system or structure as being a privilege. Because I think if we recognise that um, inherent in being able to be represented in these spaces of political power is the opportunity to speak truth and to stand up for um, what we know is right, even if our community might not be kind of fully along that journey. But I think that's what leadership is, um, is that sometimes you've got to be somewhat ahead of the curve and um, helping to kind of sell that vision um, of what climate justice could look like instead of being kind of captive by this kind of fear-based narrative, which I think leaves a lot of people feeling quite paralysed yeah. and not able to move. So I think there's a balance there. I think both you've got to kind of support the people to develop that social mandate and social licence. But then on the other hand, I think leadership is just um, finding ways to kind of charge forward with the positive steps regardless. That's, but that's also potentially a failure point, right, because you could be uh, the screaming John the Baptist, I could mix genders, um, um, you know, kind of alone in the desert. Um, and that's not effective either. Mm -hmm. So um, you think about school strikes for climate was effective, right? That you actually galvanised a movement. What, what made the difference between you being passionate and actually a movement? I think a few things. In fact, there were a lot of us. 3.5% of New Zealand's entire population in 2019 stood united behind four collective and very clear demands. And so I think the fact that we had, we knew exactly what change we were trying to instigate. We had um, declare a climate emergency right at the top of that list, and that's now happened. <coughs> Pass an ambitious Zero Carbon Act. 
with cross party support it had cross party support not so sure about the ambition i mean it's we're taking steps right but there's so much further and faster that we could and should go but i think the main thing that gave it so much power and weight was that there was just so many of us uh-huh. and the recognition that um, yeah collectively if we kind of all show up on the doorsteps of, of those in power or for example through the election we we say that we're not going to kind of sit by and let business as usual continue and instead we're going to demand different from those in power then they'll be forced to shift even if they themselves might not want to and so I think the fact that we had that kind of clarity of demand and conviction and also we had kind of a really broad cross-section of our communities represented so the school strike for climate was organized by a group of young people between the ages of eight and roughly 19 20 so I was 18 at the time and we had we partnered with the Pacific Climate Warriors we partnered with Te Arafatu we partnered with businesses led by Arkina and Mevo. they formed this network of over 300 businesses that closed up shop for the day and stood with us so I think there was this recognition that collectively as civil society if we stand up and say that we um, yeah we're not going to settle for just perpetuation of um, these these systems and cycles which are ultimately harming our planet and future generations but we're going to demand different Um, I think people want that outlet to kind of channel um, fear into as well. There were so many young people that I found as soon as I kind of st- st- as soon as I stuck my head above the sand and mm. said, look, we've got to do this, the amount of young people that just kind of flocked right. and said, finally, we've got a place, we've got a, a kind of outlet through which we can express just how scared and nervous and fearful we are about the kind of future that our leaders are creating for us through their inaction and ability to recognise the climate crisis as Stop the pointing at James when you say that. My is doing enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> not going to lie. No, we're getting there, we're getting there. Now, look, when, you, when you hear the two stories of the school strike and also TCFD, are there commonalities? Where your consultant hat and allies? Well, I, I was going to not wear my consultant hat just yet, but, <laughs> but just, to, just to reinforce what James and Sophie said, I mean, I've had the privilege of sitting next to Poker Council and then at Kind Water, where 100%, like, there's, I don't know if you guys have seen that viral video at a festival where there's one person dancing mm-hmm. and then they're dancing on their own and then they're joined and then it's like the second and third person is what makes movement and I think the point that you're making about actually it needs someone out there but it also needs others to come with and and, and actually what I think we're seeing and, and we had and I don't know if someone said anyone said this but we were in the middle of Tataki Tafari the, the final stage of Tataki Tafari getting that across the line the school strike came along and it was an amazing kind of turnaround at the council table seeing that as a way to kind of and then we got a unanimous decision yes actually we see the, the wealth of support, the breadth of support for this kind of action. And again, not just not just kids, not just school kids, but, but everyone and anyone was, or, or I put it as a representation of a whole bunch of folk. Whereas I think in the political domain, and James, correct me, like you sometimes don't see, um, or, or there, I suppose there's two things to see. One, you either don't see it or you don't seek it um, as a political group to go, actually, there's a breadth of view here. It's not just these two polar views that often are often portrayed either by the media or the, 
the surface at the top. And actually seeing that middle bit is really important. And so flipping back to the consulting world, I was just at a, one of those organizations that has to disclose. Mm. And it is a drive. It's like a, a board level, executive level. We have to respond to this. And, it, and it's actually really important to understand your risk exposure, right, as an organization, as a business. But what it's also done is it's not just those top 200 or so organizations. It's actually filtering down where we're asked by a whole bunch of other organizations, and not just because they're being asked by their customers, but they're also really interested in understanding what does this future look like? And where does my business sit in that world? So yeah. it's that point about takes a few leaders and you kind of need something to trigger that, whether it's personal leadership or a driver, but then actually getting that momentum behind it is what actually that yeah. I think in all three circumstances as well, what you've talked about is that moment of leverage because getting the TCFD over the line uh, has has created a momentum that's unstoppable now, isn't mm. it? And, and I think you're right, it's trickling down from corporates into mid, middle-sized businesses who are starting to say, geez, actually, we're going to be doing this in five years' time, we better get started anyway. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the number of companies that are directly required to report by the legislation is about 200, yes. right? It's actually a tiny, mm -hmm. tiny number of, of businesses. But because uh, part of the, um, the disclosure regime is, you know, your value, your whole value chain, like what are the emissions in your whole value chain? And if you're a bank and you, you know, loan yeah. money to, you know, everyone, everyone's in your value chain. So it does mean that um, the signal is is kind of transferring through, right? Yeah. Um, and including into some of the areas where uh, we've traditionally found change to be quite difficult, like mm -hmm. agriculture. Mm -hmm. So um, in that sense, it's it's a kind of a great system setting, and it's one of the I'm like I'm, I'm I mean I'm exposing the, just how nerdy I am, but it is one of the things I'm most proud of mm -hmm. over the last few years because it's a subtle shift that has a big impact. Yes. So it is like the trim tab on the wing of the aeroplane, you know, small piece of metal that basically directs hundreds of tons of steel through the air. Um, it, it's sort of one of those. And it's not big and flashy and, you know, the vast majority of people kind of don't understand it, don't care about it, aren't yeah. affected by it directly and so on. Yeah. In that case, it actually has more chance of success than a whole lot of the flashier stuff which creates resistance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if you thought that was good, um, Sophie's created a whole generation of climate warriors yes, now. Yes, indeed. So, um, <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> no, but actually... Like so. Dylan, who's sitting in the back there, in the middle, he's a massive part of the movement, and as I mentioned, like the culmination of 170,000 people out on the streets, that was like a team of roughly 40 of us who connected online, had actually never met each other until after the first two climate mm. strikes. We are just meeting every week for hours on end, organising logistics, contacting media, liaising with police, kind of fielding just so many different calls and, and, and things. So we, I think a lot of us kind of grew up really fast through the process because now we've got experience just doing all of these really odd things that we were completely out of our comfort zone and doing. Um, but actually we, yeah, we know that this moment in time is so crucial. And if those of us alive right now don't do everything that we possibly can, then what kind of ancestors will we be? And so I think we were all kind of united by that same collective mission um, so yeah I definitely that's 
not all on my shoulders yeah, for sure. Right. All, all my doing is yeah. so many. Sophie's been a little bit modest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is in her nature. And and yes, it was a team effort, but no one's replicated that since since 2019. Now, obviously, we all had to stay home for a large chunk of time, you know, in between times, which you know has kind of disrupted things quite badly. But no one's been able to pull a movement together like that since then. And it has made a huge difference. And those young people are showing up everywhere now, oh, yes. everywhere. And it's awesome, you know. So there's young people elected to councils. There's young people standing on for par- for parliament on different, part, not just the Green Party list, uh, and and so on, which is great. You know, I, come, I think in, you know it, it sort of you know means that you get that voice out out everywhere, and you start influencing it everywhere, um, in businesses uh, and and in, and in communities and so on. And it, it has it has fundamentally shifted the nature of youth participation in civic society yeah. in this country. It's awesome. That's wonderful. Let's um, let's pick an issue because um, we've heard about history and that's awesome. Um, but there are still so many challenges ahead and I, I have um, already prepped them, so I'm interested to hear what they're going to say. about. I chose an issue that's close to my heart, which is mode shift. Um, speaking of nerds, um, Getting people out of the Which cars. Is also known as walking and cycling. <laughs> Hardly as sexy as mode shift. Um, but, you know, particularly in Auckland, uh, we have this problem. We're wedded to vehicles, and it seems like the only solution is to go from one kind of vehicle into another, which is an EV, as if that's somehow going to solve the problem. But it really does seem quite challenging to get people out of cars, but we know how important it is. It, it's healthier. It creates better air, um, it improves people's psychological state, and um, it's a heck of a lot safer. If you come home from the pub on a bike, the consequences are less. <laughs> Not depends, speaking depends from experience. Right. Yes. Uh, and I, I I'd recommend walking, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I would um, throw it to Alec on this, only because um, you are probably... Most famous, I think, for your cycling videos. <laughs> but um, how do we get change yeah. in mode shift, given all the things we've just heard? I think, uh, and this shows maybe where I get all my information with viral videos and stuff, but there's a great video as well where um, one of, I think, I can't remember who it is, it talks about how, imagine if the city was built on stilts and you're all walking around on stilts and then suddenly you take away someone's stilts. How are they going to navigate around the city, right? And and I think that's that's the challenge we face. Where 100%, everyone gets that this is important and it's and it's critical, but we have built a city that's designed around vehicles. And so this goes back to a little bit of a, the system setting side of things to make sure that actually we need to recognise that we need to acknowledge it. We had a quarter or around equitable transitions, and and it was really hard for a lot of the folk to go. Well, you're asking me to do something that is very difficult in the current situation that I'm in. Yes. So I think one of the critical things that we have to remember is the challenge that it takes for for those who really want to. Like there's a whole bunch of folk who don't want it because they just don't want to. But there's a whole bunch who would love to but can't. And it's really not it's 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 really trying to find ways to to to, to focus on that side of it. Just the you know the, the real naysayers. So are you suggesting that you kind of segment your audience? So there's always going to be a group who are resistance. Yeah. Um, don't bother with them. I, th- I think it's it's why is there a resistance? And this goes back to like trying to definitely like segments the really horrible word because it, it it 
it, 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 it has this real kind of coldness to it. But understanding who you're trying to talk to mm-hmm. is really, really important and what you're trying to get them to do and what the challenges of doing that. And I think that's something that we find really difficult, and this is experience of being in council and whatnot, where we're, we're, we're trying to nuance your message is really, really tough. But that's so important because you're only going to get people shift if they fundamentally see and feel a connection to you mm-hmm. or the message that you're trying to share or the objective that you're trying to get to. And that's going to vary depending on who it is. Um, obviously, kind of getting out there and doing it, and actually that was the, the focus of sharing journeys on, on bikes. It was not a point and shame kind of thing. It was actually trying to get people to understand what it feels like to be on a bicycle mm-hmm. and to try and broaden that kind of sense of understanding. And, and actually, and you know, you don't necessarily see it, but I feel like it's not where we need it to go, but it has shifted that view of like people. Has it? I, I, I genuinely believe that. I spoke that, to my family. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, maybe it's where I've written or what I've done or where I'm going. But actually, I feel like there is a little bit more awareness. There's definitely more awareness on Grafton Bridge with buses coming past me that don't. Don't 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 come as close. So I do actually think there's a shift. Okay. The other thing I'd say just before I, I let others speak is um, we we sometimes just look at how much further we've got to go, and we don't look at where we've come from. Uh-huh. So it's it's really easy to go, which we haven't. We haven't gone as far or as quick or as 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 impactful or transformational as we need to be. But actually, there has been shifts and changes along the way. There have been changes um, in terms of how people may drive on the road, but also the infrastructure around is somewhat better. Not great, but it is better. So we can't beat ourselves and we also can't beat up our politicians too much because I think it's really important to celebrate where they have done something. Because otherwise you just hear, I mean, you just hear a lot of negative, right? You don't often get the positive. And I think it's really important, particularly for those politicians who might be a little bit on the line, to, to tell them you're doing a great job, I know it's difficult, and we're supportive because you're at least trying to make some sort of sure. Yeah, yeah. You're so nice, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, um, Kapiti is hard to cycle around. It's mm-hmm. really stretched out. It's got this massive motorway running through it. Mm-hmm. Um, why would anyone walk or cycle without massive infrastructure change? What are the? Am I summarising the challenges for you? The that challenge is a real it's a real one for sure. So we're we're a district of kind of five quite distinct and characterful communities in their own sense. And they we're proud of that. And the communities are too. And I think, yeah, as, as you say, infrastructure is is huge. But also we like between those communities, we have awesome green space. We've got parks, we've got reserves, we're currently undertaking a conversation with Mana Whenua about how we kind of connect up. Um, different bits of land to to help support them to gain kind of kaitiaki status back of, of different bits of the whenua and then how that would kind of deliver more opportunities for collective community benefit and mm-hmm. that is kind of a test case for what's possible across the rest of the district and the region. So I think, yeah, it could, it could be seen as a real challenge but also I think it's part of our strength is that it allows people to kind of mosey slowly through the park. Like I e-bike to work, it takes me about 35 minutes done an 11 kilometre ride and my e-bike's nice and quick but I, I get to work and I, I find that I'm always fresh mm. you know like my mind is um, it's clear 
I had the fresh air, the wind kind of whistling through my hair. It's great. I chuck on some music in my earpods, do some e-bike karaoke. It's superior. <laughs> and so I get to work and I'm like, woo, <laughs> like I'm so pumped for the day. And how, so I think if your, we can... Um, I'm going to interrupt. Um, yeah. How do your counsellors view you as kind of, oh, Sophie's at the vanguard and uh, we're going to follow her example or Sophie's actually a bit of a freak in <laughs> our conference? Um. <laughs> Well, to, to kind of set the scene, I guess, as to the table that I'm sitting around, the next youngest counsellor is 52, and I'm 22. So there is a 30-year age gap between myself and my next youngest colleague. I've got two colleagues who don't believe in climate change, one of one of whom I think is just kind of taking the piss and thinks it's funny to wind me up, and the other one's being completely serious and thinks it's just kind of a natural cycle and things even flow, and that's what this is, and that humans have no part to play in its exacerbation. And then you've got a couple of people who think that the solution to getting people out of their cars and into public transport or onto active modes is bus shelters. Um, that's the only thing that needs to be done is if regional council finally puts a bus shelter at every single bus stop, everyone will get out of their cars and into the buses. So you've got people who are kind of quite set in either what they don't mm. want to happen mm. or something that they are trying to hang their hat on that they think will make all the difference. And so it's quite hard to kind of communicate in that environment where, yeah, sometimes you're saying things that they just don't want to hear. So what what advice are you going to, could we give Sophie from your experience of change, or maybe you're already doing it, um, but are there... some advice. <laughs> <laughs> no offence to my colleagues. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do they believe in gravity? <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, get some friends. Get some more people like you around the around the around the um, table. And let's lower the voting age to sixteen yeah. so that we can. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, look, I think Sophie is <laughs> a better politician than I'll ever be. Um, uh, and around the, uh, you know, um, councils are different from Parliament in the sense that there's no formal kind of government opposition split around around um, around council tables. And what that means is that issue by issue, you kind of have to assemble a majority. That's actually quite good. Like in a democratic sense, it means that, you know, you can kind of have each argument on its merit. The fact that a democracy basically throws up a group of amateurs with preconceived ideas based on very little evidence uh, is one of the design features uh, <laughs> of, our, of our system. And um, as Winston Churchill once said, it is the worst system ever invented except for all of the others. So, so we just kind of have to accept that, um, you know, it is what it is uh, and, and it's better than the alternatives. Um, but it does mean that we just have to, it is slow and it's painful and it's messy and you do have to kind of reach out to people who you have fundamentally different ideas about the world and try and find common ground. Sophie's better at that than most people I've ever mm -hmm. met. Um, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's kind of the, the nature of the nature of the beast. And, you know, after nine years in Parliament and coming from quite a sunny predisposition uh, once, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, it is kind of a numbers game, mm. right? The more people who want to take strong action on climate change are sitting around the table, the more likely you are to get strong action on climate change. I mean, it's kind of right. basic maths, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, there's a lot of caucusing that happens like behind closed doors, bringing people up. Where do you sit? 
what could I change to, to bring you on board? How do we kind of, yeah, how do we find that common ground? Yeah. It's awesome having, yeah, people that I'm inspired by, like James, who is, yeah, kind of a leader in, in the sense of, of building that kind of consensus as well, being able to work across the different um, different parties and, and political ideologies to figure out how we can still move the Kaupapa forward without kind of relinquishing all of the ambition, but also we've got to keep going. So we can't stall because I think kind of climate delayism and putting off action is the new form of just denying that there's no yeah. problem. Yeah. And so I think there's a real risk that in, yeah, in trying to build that consensus, we just stall and we don't do anything. Um, but we've got to, yeah, we've got to keep keep moving, but just kind of slowly try and bring those people along. So, you, yeah, thanks you for the work you've had a nice analogy uh, of a trim tab. Yes. Is there a trim tab for motion? that actually makes a, a, a massive... Because what we've all talked about just now is patient, uh, convincing examples of almost sort of hand-by-hand combat, if I could use probably the wrong analogy, but um, of getting there. But is there a, is there a turn <coughs> moment for Moch? That's a really good question, Vincent, and I'm not sure that I've got a, an answer to that. I think the trim tab is make better decisions. Um, so I completely agree with what Alec was saying about the option has to be available for people to get out of their vehicle and into another form of transport that is as fast, as convenient, and as cheap as going in a car. And you said that people are really hard to get out of their cars. They're actually not. Most Aucklanders that I've ever met loathe the fact they spend an hour and a half to two hours in traffic every day, and they would give that up in a you know, a lightning second uh, if uh, if there was another way of doing it. And you only need to look at, I mean, I think since the cycleway started being built, we've seen something like a 500% increase in cycling in the city, but only once you had separated cycleways and people felt safe to get right. on their bicycle. You put the Northern Busway in, it's so oversubscribed that actually, you know, you, like it's kind of, it's overcapacity. It's only been there a few years. Uh, you watch what happens when they when the CRL opens. You know, it's already projected mm-hmm. to, to take something like forty something thousand passengers a day. You know, mm-hmm. like it's going to be more than that. So you're going to see people move into other other forms of getting around, yes. um, also known as a mode. Um, <laughs> uh, once the option is available to them, right? And 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 actually, what that means is that the road space that we do have will be less congested, which means actually for those people who do have to or just bloody-mindedly do want to get around by vehicle, it will be better for them too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just it's one of those things you just have to make the option available. And in order to do that, you have to be in the in councils and in parliament and you have to make the funding available, make the decisions and the plans that enable that to happen. And until you do that, it will not happen. Yeah. But, but I, I would add, and this is... This is um, you know, from the outside and non, non-politics looking in. We had, I live in Onihanga, those of you will know the story I'll tell about the low traffic neighbourhood in Onihanga, right, which was a really important um, attempt to uh, build a low traffic neighbourhood that will enable some of that shift and whatnot. It was challenged uh, by various different things. But one of the key elements was that you end up with this really polarised argument of, of the very pro, uh, very very antis, and a number of pro pro change, and what that led to was this really awkward piece in the middle where a number of folk, my, my wife included, and others who would want to go and say, "I'm I'm actually okay with this change. I would like to see this," 
but just getting shouted down. And it was really, really, it was quite a horrible environment. But actually, that made it really difficult for the politicians to actually yeah. keep going because all they heard was this real nap loud no, yeah. mm-hmm. and they didn't want the divisiveness and they saw this division so in their community. So it wasn't a, I don't want this initiative. I don't want the division in my community. So it's actually mm-hmm. a, a big, like, people element of, and I know it's hard and it's tricky, and, 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 and you, but you do need to stand up and you need to express that I'm, I'm willing to do things differently. I want to ex- do things differently. And that's kind of in lots of different circumstances, but, but being, being more vocal around it. Uh, another um, uh, example was I, uh, for my sins, was asked to go and speak at a Probus Club um, presentation, which is you know, Rotary, older than Rotary, uh, in, in, in Riviera. And it was uh, an interesting presentation. I was counsel at the time, talking about climate change. You can imagine the, the response. And, and got a lot of prickly questions from folk. But after that, had a number of the participants come in and actually go, oh, look, I'm really interested. Um, and uh, I'm actually investing in some more sustainable outcomes. But because they saw the rest of the room and the questions that they that, that, that they heard was quite anti, were quite anti. That was like, oh, is that my community? Is that what everyone thinks? But actually, mm-hmm. it isn't what everyone thinks. So yes. the importance of actually standing up and going, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't know, but I'm actually open to it. Mm-hmm. I'm really keen to do that. This is why the school strikes was so significant, right? Because when you had 170,000 New Zealanders who weren't all young people mm-hmm. uh, come, come I was there. you know, kind of sh- <laughs> show up, um, uh, you're younger, Jason. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that that kind of counterbalanced the 20 guys on tractors, right? Um, and so the – well, they have a lot of influence, right? Yeah. Um, so that and, – and that's kind of one of the things that worries me at the moment is you've got this kind of, you know, US exported culture war um, uh, going on, which is – partially funded by, you know, fossil fuel companies and so on and their proxies, partially by kind of the geopolitics of, you know, Russia and all that kind of stuff, which is leaking into our society in a way that does kind of um, empower that uh, very loud, um, very small uh, group of people to dominate the discourse and to shift what we think is acceptable. So... Um, and this really worries me, right? Because for those of us who are trying to build consensus, you kind of go, okay, you know, we understand we're going to need to give something up in order to get something, right? But if the people on the other side, you know, absolute no compromise, you know, Mm. it will be roads only ever, so on and so forth, and we're like, okay, well, we'll meet you halfway, yes, right? Mm. Then what happens is that kind of, mid-meeting point moves further and further right. towards their uh, towards their position and uh, and then they win mm. right mm. again mm. and we cannot we cannot afford that and so we do need um, frankly uh, the the kind of the, the vast majority of New Zealanders the 89 percent who are worried about climate change and think that the government ought to be doing more we need that you know, we need the other 90% to stand up, Yes, frankly. There's a way to unpack that a little, though, isn't there? Because what you're talking about is is a compromise based on noise rather than compromise based on rationality or on good policy. But I, um, 
another thread to that is the graciousness which you respond. So setting up these binaries, you know, one yeah. reaction, uh, driving a tractor up Parliament or tying yourself to a motorway, you know, those probably two quite extremes. All of you have practised a graciousness in your approach, which kind of makes me think, you think that graciousness, listening, doesn't necessarily require compromise, but it just requires what? It's a, it's a character, it's an approach. Do you want to, I mean, you you know about that, don't you? I mean, you hold firm, but you're, you're generous with it. Yeah, I feel like it, it has kind of taken me a little while, though, to kind of build up that self-confidence around the council table, to not feel like an imposter and to know that actually I can stand, you know, in the manner that I have through the auspices of me being elected to that seat and knowing that I have my community's backing to kind of stand stand strong and say what needs to be said and, and lead the change and the, yeah, the kind of consensus around the table for that investment, which, as James says, is kind of the the number one thing, really, in terms of um, actually enabling things to happen and ensuring that the, the policy settings are correct um, and right to, to help that along. Um, but I think the thing that I think about a lot is kind of what drives me and why I do what I do. And I don't, I don't do what I do out of hatred for the politicians. I don't do what I do out of <laughs> hatred for fossil fuel CEOs. We had a meeting with the Petroleum Exploration and Production Association of New Zealand and I sat opposite this guy who's the chief executive and asked him why he does what he does. And his answer really kind of shocked me and it's still something that I think about to this day. He said, because I'm proud to be a part of this industry. It's kind of like, well, tell me more about that. Because I think if I was in your shoes, I, I, I probably would have been, but explain to me like what sits behind that. And to him, he, he explained that he, through his eyes, is creating kind of a wealth, both physical wealth, but also a wealth of opportunity for his children. And it's kind of like, it's a bit icky. <laughs> but, but also... What drives me is love for our collective home. I'm not driven out of hatred for him or his industry or, mm-hmm. you know, the politicians who, who I think aren't doing enough. I'm driven out of love for what's possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm driven out of out of kind of this hope for how awesome our communities could look if people and the planet were truly centred. And I think we have the opportunity through council, for example, in that, that mode shift question around kind of, planting little seeds of that hope. Like, how can we temporarily transform our streetscapes? How can mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. kind of have pop-up activations which show people, actually, if this street was was closed for two days a week and you were forced to divert the traffic around it and actually you just let people do what they want with the space, see how it goes. I actually think there'd be less resistance mm-hmm. because people don't feel like it's binary, they don't feel like, oh, this thing's being taken away from me. I think a lot of people, and I'm finding this in council, there's also a lot of misinformation swirling around about these kind of high up agendas and this this kind of state of control that I think people are feeling like is going to be inflicted Imposed. upon them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I think there's an opportunity to, to kind of be flexible and agile, um, which we've seen that we've had to be in the face of mm-hmm. massive climate destruction, which is very much on our front doorstep now, and that Tamaki Makoto's obviously experienced. So thinking about how we can use that to our advantage to actually instill kind of a sense of like curiosity, I guess, in people's minds about not only what the negatives are, but also the positives, right. and driven out of love for what 
yeah, what that can create in terms of those outcomes. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful yeah. thing to say, Sophie. And that kind of, uh, I think about you and your commitment to cycling. Um, and uh, even though you do get sideswiped by buses and trucks and vans, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard you utter a you know four letter word. That's because that's it gets muted when that. <laughs> <laughs> but you you are also very kind of positive, right? I'd say two things. One, one, you know, just because this is the way that we approach things, it's just all also different. Doesn't mean that that's the only way that you can change. And I think there are. Um, we had a quarter around climate anxiety, which is a really interesting space and not a space I have been comfortable historically talking, but it was so insightful for me that we talked about how action comes in lots of different forms and you need to find the bit that resonates with you and gives you strength because everything else is really tough otherwise. So so, so this is one way, it's not the only way. I, I you know, the, the fact of the matter is the change is very personal. Like we need to think about the people here. Yeah. And, and people, uh, 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 you know, we've all done this, where you run at someone and you kind of, even if you don't intentionally attack them, they feel attacked mm -hmm. and they close up. And they will always close up and they'll always be really hesitant. And, they'll, and you'll, you'll find it very difficult to have a, a really meaningful and a useful conversation about the why which is, you know, everyone has a why mm -hmm. and to really understand that and tease it out and just kind of go, well, is that right? Or, you know, that that you can't do if you're running full bore at somewhere. Right. It's really difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Can I pick up on this? Because there's... There's a saying that what you resist persists, right? So if you if you if you resist someone being the way that they are, that their state will persist. Um, and so one of the one of the things I, I believe very very strongly is you need to allow people to be who they are with whatever's going on for them and whatever they believe about science or not and so on and so forth, and have that be okay, even if you disagree with them. Um, and uh, particularly in politics, that's not okay, and you get judged and told mm. that you're wrong all the time. And, of course, what that does is it puts you into defensive mode, which actually mm. just reinforces it. So um, I think a critical element to kind of building that consensus um, is uh, actually to sit down with the people who you disagree with and just mm. let them be who they are, and that and that be completely fine. Yeah. Um, and one of the... Critiques I think I have of our movement, I say ours and the kind of small G green movement, is a kind of judgmentalism towards people who don't agree with our worldview. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, what that does is it just reinforces it, yes. right? And I think that that is one of the yeah. fundamental reasons we've made nine-tenths progress over the last 30 years. Yeah. There's a, there's a, we, we recently had a conversation. You can edit that out, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, but we were talking about so so let alone TCFD, we were talking about TNFD, the Task Force on Nature Related Financial Disclosures, and the fact that actually climate is a product of a whole bunch of um, um, is a product of our consumptive and extractive relationship with nature. And so we were talking about well, what's the response? What's the distinctly uniquely Aotearoa's response to TNFD that business can lead with? And one of the key things was that we need to acknowledge there are multiple value sets. Yeah. Right? And a response that doesn't just go, this is the only values that you've got to leave it. It's a breadth of values and it needs to accommodate and work within that broader mm -hmm. set of values. So I think, and I, I totally agree, you know, not trying to 
change the person, try and change the thought processes yeah. that are happening or the or the logic that you know has, has obviously taken someone to this direction is to go, well, is that really logical? Right. Um, so I think that's that's really, really important from a, um, how do we actually get not only and this is the other thing, not only change, but change that lasts. Yeah. Right. Because you can really easily, like, you can walk up a few streets, people will change and whatever, but then as soon as those streets are open, they'll go back to whatever they're doing. So yeah. it's that long-lasting change that's really, really important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we could go on, and it's been really great uh, listening to you. Thank you. Um, I, I feel like there's um, a lot of wisdom experienced. Oh, I've, I've enjoyed hearing from you. Um but we are at time, and uh, we've got a few more formalities to do before lunch. But um, I'd really like to um, thank all three of you for uh, contributing today. And thank you for uh, coming along. Thank you to our online audience uh, who are um, participating in so far as they're listening. And um, I'd like to just finish with a lovely, um, um, uh, lovely Pokotoki uh, which I found, and I apologise for my pronunciation. Fofia tikiti matauranga, matahuruhuru tamanu kariri, which means let's fill the basket with knowledge and adorn this bird with feathers to fly, which I thought was a beautiful way to end. So um, please join me in uh, thanking our panellists. Now my pleasure also to welcome up Michelle uh, Kennedy, who's the founder of the Climate Festival, who will um, invite us into a small closing ceremony for the festival. Thank you, Michelle. And I think we stay seated. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. Kia ora Call Michelle Kennedy, Topa Ingoa. Um, thanks so much, Vincent, James, uh, Sophie and Alec for that. That was awesome. I took so much from that um, yeah, there was a lot of wisdom shared, so thank you. Um, yeah, if you imagine that times 150, that's what it's been like this month. <laughs> We've had um, 156 events take place um, from the 31st of August until today, so from full moon to full moon. Um, how many were free? 116 of those were free for people to attend, which was amazing, and we had over... 170 or so event hosts that put on those events for people across Tamaki Makoto. Um, and that doesn't even count the speakers um, and other collaborators um, that, you know, help put those on. So really a phenomenal effort uh, from so many different organisations, um, from community groups, advocacy groups, government, the private sector, industry bodies, we could go on, university groups, um, many of whom are actually sitting here today. So thank you for coming to this. Um, I just wanted to yeah, specifically thank, um, in particular, um, the event hosts who put on those events. Thank you so much for your hard work um, and energy. I know we all know that it takes a lot to put those on, and especially on this topic where it's, you know, you put your heart and soul into it. It all really matters to us, so thank you so much for that. Um, to our partners as well who helped make it happen. Um, you guys will have seen our billboard after the act one. <laughs> 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 not that one. Um, and it's rolling through. Not the biggest ad either. There's a few that aren't ours, obviously. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Khan and, and the team um, from Curative for helping with that. So yeah, it's, it's very, it's, yeah.
well framed. <laughs> um, and I did want to also just um, especially thank yeah. our iwi host partners. Oh, there you go. There it is. Um, great timing too. Who gifted um, our theme this year, Nahua Owai. Um, and especially to Paula, who's sitting at the back here, who will formally close um, this today after me. But um, thanks, Paula, and, and the team for holding space for us this year as a team. Um, yeah, I think I feel like I'm going to get emotional again. But um, yeah, it's been so cool to see how the theme has landed throughout the festival. And this year, it's been really cool to see how our different event hosts have kind of embodied it, have talked about the catchments within which their events have been held, um, have honoured the, you know, mana whenua, um, and have also programmed, we've programmed the festival this year in accordance to Maramataka. Um, so it's been really neat to kind of go through that process this month. Um, as well, and for us, it's been a big learning um, and a really special one. So, yeah, really, really proud of, of everyone for kind of embracing that. And I did just want to, in the spirit of acknowledging catchments, I wanted to acknowledge the Waitamata. We all know that it's um, that we've had, you know, a big storage link there, um, and a special mention to Nāti Whātuanake for the Rahui, um, which they put on that at the moment. Um, it's kind of quite poignant that we're ending the festival with, with that having happened. I think it's a stark reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and so, yeah, I just really wanted to to acknowledge that. Um, that's me. I could. I, I went through the whole program yesterday, reflected on all the events. Jay and I have been to about 50 events this, <laughs> this month each. <laughs> um, and, um, oh, yeah, and of course, sorry, I forgot to mention our ambassadors. They've gone to events as well this month. They've just been amazing. Um, volunteering and spending lots of hours supporting our event hosts. So thank you to them as well and our team, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I went through the program yesterday. I was, I was wanting to share some highlights from this month, but there have honestly been so many. I could write like 10 pages worth of highlights. Um, so I, I will leave it there. Uh, we will be um, sharing an impact report um, within the next month or two, and we'll be celebrating all of the amazing things that have come from this month um, Yeah, over the next few months. But Thank you so much, everyone. And um, yeah, Paula, do you want to come up and feel free to share a few words as well if you'd like? Or, yeah. Tinatato <laughs> Uh, um, kia ora everyone, look just on behalf of Ngāti Te Atawaiō Rua, uh, who are the host, host iwi uh, for this year's Auckland Climate Festival, we just want to extend um, our aroha, our appreciation and gratitude to, to you, Michelle, uh, et te manu taupua. Uh, the manu taupua is a century bird, eh? And so the century bird leads birds in a triangular formation. And so um, I liken that to you um, with what we've achieved for this year's uh, Auckland Climate Festival, which has been really impactful, I think is the word that I'll use. And I just want to acknowledge you for all your mahi, your dedication, uh, your fortitude and endurance and resilience for carrying this kaupapa forward. And so tēnē te mihi kia koe, o tira koutou, your team. I want to acknowledge each and every one of you uh, for the wonderful mahi that you've done over the month but actually even leading up to the month, because it started sort of last year, really, the handover from Ngāti Whātuarake to us, 
uh, this year's host of Iwi. I just want to acknowledge all of you. Alec, uh, the chairman uh, of the board of the Auckland Climate Festival, you and the fellow members uh, of the board, uh, and me, Alec. We want to see KPMG, thank you for hosting us uh, for the closing of the ceremony as well as this uh, critical integral event. Just want to acknowledge again our speakers. Thank you very much. A food of a chief are uh, her or his words, and so your words are uh, sustenance and nourishment to our bodies, but most importantly, to invoking and challenging the mind. So thank you very much. Just want to leave everyone with a proverbial saying, uh, and I think I used it in the opening of the festival, and a lot of people were coming up to me afterwards and say, wow, what can, I, can you say that? proverb to me and can I write it down and it says a little something like this and I think it's really befitting with what we're trying to achieve collectively together around a collective response to climate change eh? and so it says which translates to when our words are deep in our souls and we live and we breathe them only then can we walk the path that our potential has been patiently waiting for uh, and I'll just close us down with our final karakia to close down the festival. Temori Kavakakake Wero, Tomate Mori, Homie, Uye Taiki, Enakoto, Nami. Thanks for listening to this climate business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka Kitiano.